Ray Thomas is the Executive Vice President and General Manager of NES Financial Specialty Financial Administration, focusing on technology-enabled EB5-1031 and Opportunity Zone Fund Administration. NES announced earlier this month that it had entered into an acquisition agreement with JTC, a UK-based provider of fund, corporate, and private client services to institutional and private clients. This is JTC's first foray into the U.S. market as an acquirer. Our guest, Reed Thomas, is responsible for overseeing the day-to-day operations of the Specialty Financial Administration Business Unit of the organization, where he will continue to oversee the company's growth of the EB-5 and Opportunity Zone businesses, working to develop the software solutions and dedicated client service teams. Good morning, Reed. How are you? Great, Vlad. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. So we have an opportunity to speak with you about NES uh, Financial and your company and some of your recent successes. Uh, before we jump into some of the background and you know that kind of thing, let's get into um, the recent news of NES Financial. Do you mind giving us like a quick overview of what's happened recently? Yeah, great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, uh, NES was recently acquired last middle of last week by a company called JTC. The JTC Group is a 30-plus-year-old firm headquartered in the UK. They're publicly listed on the London Stock Exchange under the symbol JTC. Uh, they are a company that's been focused on private wealth uh, clients as well as institutional client services. Um, so they operate, um, prior to this acquisition, they operate in about 20 countries. Um, now the U.S. is included in that. Um, they also um, have about 700, uh, 800 employees uh, worldwide. Uh, so they're a leader in the, in the private wealth and fund administration spaces specifically. The acquisition marks their entry into the U.S. market for institutional client services. Um, and for us at NES, we're very excited because we represent the U.S. platform for what now is a company with $130 billion of assets under administration. The management team, the branding will uh, will remain in place. Um, and we think this is going to be good for our customers uh, here in, in the United States, but also good for their clients. Uh, you know, we have a, an excellent technology platform, which we think will bring benefits to JTC globally. Great. And one of the uh, benefits of them acquiring you is that this was their foray into the uh, into the United States market, essentially. But you have also uh, been able to grow into uh, an entity that is um, very successful in the Opportunity Zone market. So before we kind of jump into into that, let's maybe rewind and go way, way back into how NES was founded and maybe a little bit of a background of the company and that kind of thing. Oh, sure. Yeah, NES was founded in 2005 with this idea that we could use technology to help uh, enable investment programs that are intended to do good actually do the good they were intended to do. We're headquartered in Silicon Valley And when we looked across the market, we could see that there were certain types of investment programs that were intended to do good, but far too often they failed. And sometimes that was because there's 
an overabundance of compliance and requirements and regulations, um, which crushes the, the program under its own weight. Other times it's because there's not enough of that and fraud and abuse can, can enter the scenario. So we felt that if we could develop purpose-built technology to address the exact application or investment opportunity in, uh, involved, that we would be able to help. Uh, so that's that's what we did, was we built a, a platform that can be quickly configured for these highly specialized funds or investment programs. And we focused on market segments that had the, those kinds of characteristics of a tremendous amount of uh, regulatory compliance or even the actual fraud or potential fraud and abuse. And uh, we started out doing uh, 1031 exchanges which I'm sure your your audience is very familiar with. Um, we built a technology platform that made everything completely transparent. Um, we hired uh, somebody out of the IRS who wrote much of the 1031 regulations, so we developed expertise. We partnered with banking institutions to make sure that proper controls were put in place on the movement of the money, and we grew to be the largest provider uh, that wasn't a bank or title company in the sector. Yeah, and, and then, then after that, we... Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I'm sorry as well. And then you also acquired uh, some additional lines of business, correct, during that time? Right. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, we got into 1031 around the time of the last financial crisis. Um, and uh, as a result of that, uh, you know, what became evident was a lot of the 1031 qualified intermediaries were really running Ponzi schemes. And uh, so banks started to exit the sector for fear of uh, lawsuits, um, and we uh, ended up being able to acquire a division of J.P. Morgan Chase um, that uh, that became sort of the cornerstone of where we do our 1031 and now our fund administration servicing out of uh, cities just south of Boston. And then the next phase, uh, as we spoke earlier in the week, uh, was jumping into some of the EB-5 financing as well. So tell us a little bit about how you found yourself into this, you know, commercial real estate, you know, funding niche and how that evolved. Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, topic. You know, EB-5 was something that we came across in uh, 2010. And uh, it's kind of interesting because when we first heard about uh, you know, the program, which uh, I'm sure your audience is familiar with, but just in case, it's it's a foreign investment program where foreign investors invest into job creating initiatives here in the United States. Um, and if the initiative is successful and they create the target number of jobs, then they they get green cards, then ultimately are eligible to become U.S. citizens. Um, so as you can imagine. Uh, an extremely complex program because you have not only sort of the standard investment um, financials to track and monitor, but you also have this whole complex immigration process merged together with a job creation program. Right, right. Uh, so we sort of thought that was a perfect fit for us with technology that could be purposely configured to the specific needs of, of that initiative. And we entered that market in 2010 with a comprehensive fund administration solution. Uh, we grew to be the dominant player in that market. We've done over 750 EB-5 deals representing about $20 billion in EB-5 capital. Um, 
and uh, continue to be a recognized brand in that sector for providing security and transparency. And both on the 1031 business and the EB-5 business, uh, Reed, if I understand this correctly, I mean, you quickly became kind of a national leader in, in this servicing. Right. Is that is that accurate? So, I mean, you know, to be perfectly honest, I, I have not heard of your company uh, for, for a while. And then it's kind of like the, you know, best known secret maybe or the or uh, you know within within silicon valley that you know this industry really um you know benefited from tell us a little bit about kind of your ascension if you will to that leadership and um what they meant for the business in general and just uh you know for you guys as a as an entity well you know they're really niche markets is really what they are and so um you know you really have to be in them and to to really sort of see uh, who the different uh, service providers are and their market, uh, respective market shares and the like. And that really came uh, in both 1031 and EB-5. It came as a result of us really focusing on this message and this idea of security, compliance, and transparency. You know, trying to protect all the stakeholders involved, helping them operate within these complex regulatory environments, at the same time as protecting uh, investors. Um, and helping to protect that the integrity of the overall investment program was maintained. And as I said up top, you know, helping these programs to do the good that they're in, intended to do. And so it was really with that sort of focus that we, we got so much traction. And then uh, 2018 comes around and then the concept of Opportunity Zone emerges. Tell us a little bit about sort of the background of that and how that became a thing and then how you guys evolved into that space well yeah it's it's really the sort of in some ways it's the perfect um, market segment for us because you know as EB5 is a mashup really of a private equity and fund with a an immigration program and a job creation program opportunity zones is really a mashup of a private equity fund with a in this case a tax uh, initiative and a job creation or economic uh, development uh, program. And all three of those elements are important. And so we saw that early, uh, reconfigured our system, because one of the things about our technology is we built it to be configured for these kinds of things with the appropriate workflow and so on. And so we, um, you know, it's, it's kind of fascinating because the program was announced, not a lot of people I think saw it coming, um, in, you know, under tax reform at the end of 17 and really got started in 2018. Opportunity zones, what are the geographic zones themselves, really weren't decided until the middle of 2018. Um, regulations, you know, had continued to emerge and weren't final until really the end of 2019. So the industry has been operating sort of in this lack of clarity about what the rules are, uh, until the end of uh, last year. Um, but it was clear to us that this is an important, uh, Opportunity Zones is an important initiative. Um, you know, the U.S. economy starting in back in when it started to recover after the financial crisis, you know, unlike every other economic recovery before it, you know, sort of the rising tide did not float all boats. And there were right. areas of the country left behind. And so the Opportunity Zones initiative is really something that's intended to, uh, to address that. So it's a program that's clearly intended to do good. From our point of view, the only way it's going to succeed in doing that is if, if uh, 
people involved in the in the um, in that area are able to show that it actually had a positive impact and did the good it was intended to do. So we went to market with the sort of private equity fund administration capability, which we we obviously have in house with a uh, purpose built tax compliance solution for opportunity zones, as well as an impact tracking and measurement capability is fundamental as part of the solution. Uh, today we have 75 opportunity zone funds under contract, which we think makes us probably the largest uh, provider of services uh, in the space. And so we're off to an early lead and we're starting to see a lot of good things happen in the program. Right. So, um, Reed, um, earlier this year, as I'm sure you're aware and all of us are, um, this COVID-19 thing hits and um, it puts everything to a crawl, essentially. Um, given what you see in the market and sort of where things are, um, how you've you know evolved through the 1031 area, the EB-5 area, and now Opportunity Zones, how, how have you seen this uh, play itself out in your part of the world? Well, you know, the, uh, there's a few things that um, sort of are all c- combining together. You know, clearly there's a lot of uncertainty right now as a result of COVID-19 in the market and people are adjusting, uh, you know, all the work from home activity that's going on. Uh, companies are trying to figure out what all of this is ultimately going to mean to them. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm sort of seeing a, a, a few emerging trends that that uh, may make the kinds of things that we do very relevant and very important. Um, you know, the first thing, uh, as a direct result of the seriousness of the COVID-19 virus, there's been sort of a very significant spirit of caring and helping that's evolved um, in this country. You know, we've seen Pro athletes, as an example, continue to pay the arena staffs um, uh, to, uh, to to help them uh, cope with this. Um, we've seen um, many people make philanthropic investments uh, to help uh, um, in many ways, donating masks or helping their neighbors get groceries or whatever it, right. whatever it is. Right. So there's so there's this strong spirit of helping these. Uh, folks who have challenges or underserved areas or underserved communities, which is, um, you know, similar to the spirit of why EB-5 was created to drive jobs into the areas in the country that most need them. And uh, certainly why Opportunity Zones was was created to help these communities uh, grow. Um, so, so that's one thing that we're seeing. Uh, the other thing is, you know, a, sort of a second degree effect of the virus is sort of the economic impact that's that's happening. You know, um, we've seen a tremendous sell off in the market over the last couple of months um, that follows the longest bull market in uh, history. And, and sell off, so you're you're talking about the equity market sell off. Yes, the equity right. market sell off. And 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 so. Presumably, there's been significant uh, capital gains uh, that have been achieved um, and are now sitting in money market accounts and, uh, and so on. And one of the cool things about Opportunity Zones is it's, 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 an, it's a way for folks to defer paying capital gains if they invest in um, capital gains taxes, rather, if they invest in Opportunity Zones. 
um, and uh, get even get a discount on those uh, the taxes due if they leave the investment in long enough, and potentially uh, complete forgiveness of any gain on the original gain if they leave the investment in for for long enough. Um, and so the investors have 180 days to make that initial investment from the time they realized the gain. Um, and since the sell-off was, I imagine, largely uh, reactionary um, or even panicked, there uh, a lot of those gains were probably uh, realized without a, a well-thought plan in terms of how to reinvest or defer taxes. And so right. opportunity zones become another another uh, avenue for that. Yeah, and in all honesty, it caught us all by surprise. So part of that is because of that as well, um, I would suspect. Would you, um, now opportunity zones are still a relatively novel idea in a sense that, you know, the execution of them, like you said, really kind of commenced in 2019. Um, yeah. So it is a little bit of an early stage um, kind of uh, opportunity no no pun intended in in a sense that um a lot of these funds haven't necessarily executed all of their strategies and returned the money to the investors so it right. could be right. a little early in terms of how this will all play itself out uh, but just anecdotally from what you're seeing in your network how how are these funds um doing do you see do you see any volumes do you see any uptick in activity um, uh, you know, stuff, of course, that you can't share, you can't share, but things that, that you could anecdotally share would be, would be great for us to hear as well. Well, we saw a tremendous uptick in activity. So we started to see money move in early 2019, sort of as you would with any sort of early adopter kind of uh, market, you know, despite um, regulations not being final, uh, this program started to, to gain momentum in early 2019 um, and then in December when the regulations went final and there was a, a key milestone date for tax deferral um, the program just exploded in December and we saw massive inflows we saw more inflows or investments moving into opportunity zones in December of 2019 than we did in the previous 11 months combined um, and so that was quite encouraging um, and then we continued to see money flow in January. And then with the, uh, the impact of what's happening with the virus and the economy, things have slowed down, as you might expect, you know, sort of in March and I expect in April. Now, I do expect that all right, it's possible that if I'm correct on this uh, idea that there was significant gains realized, you know, you, you move out six months from February, March or 180 days and you end up into August and September. So we could see another ramp in investments leading into the summer, into the into sort of the third quarter here, um, uh, as people want to take uh, take advantage of the the potential for deferring gains. And one other thought on this, if I could, is that the um, you know the types of investments that may be counter cyclical. So you know your real estate audience um, you know is very attuned with this, right? What types of real estate uh, investments might be um, sort of safer um, during this time where people might want to, um, you know, sort of protect themselves on the downside because um, maybe the uh, sort of the, the real estate um, cycle is going to reset here. Um, and those tend to be good investments for or well-suited investments for 
opportunity zones, things like uh, affordable housing or multifamily housing, those kinds of things um, might be good investments uh, at this time. So I think we have sort of three things lining up that that might be um, a good signs for for opportunity zones. You know, the tax the sort of one time big gains realization event two the types of investments maybe being counter cyclical and uh, three, the spirit of doing good all combined. Uh, I think make this program uh, attractive. Reed, so one of the things that we talked about is the potential for these three lines of business in which you're involved um, to maybe be impacted by the CARES Act. Is there any is there any provision inside the CARES Act that um, might be useful for either the 1031 or EB5 or Opportunity Zones going forward? Yeah, there's been lots of discussion in the CARES Act and um, around future stimulus packages that would um, create uh, potential opportunities like you're you're talking about. But at the moment, most of the, the stuff that's being discussed is around the details of the regulations that exist in the programs as they are, uh, because uh, investors could benefit or project managers, fund managers could better benefit from from additional time. So the the, uh, the bulk of the activity and discussion is really centered around those kinds of issues. There's a lot of rumor and discussion, I understand, about future stimulus uh, initiatives um, that might contain uh, more direct uh, provisions for expanding or uh, making those programs bigger. Got it. And um, for my final question, Reed, um, Obviously, uh, you know, times like these can be also opportunities for companies to innovate and do things maybe that they haven't done before, come up with some new products, new avenues for revenue generation. As you kind of look at um, now that you're, you know, bolstered by your by your new ownership and um, looking at where the industry is heading, um, any insights into how you as a company are preparing for the next cycle? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think we've just talked about stimulus as an example, um, and there's a number of things that uh, that could come out of that. One is a is a market we're already involved in, right? Which is really EB five. Uh, there's a rumor going around that the uh, that they may consider increasing the capacity on the EB five market. Okay. Um, Currently, it's limited by uh, to fifteen thousand to ten thousand visas per year. Sorry, and and there's talk of increasing that to. There's been rumors that that they're considering increasing that to seventy five thousand oh, wow. visas per year, um, which would be phenomenal, uh, obviously for our business, um, and it would be I think great for the uh, the economy as a whole and the recovery. Uh, you know, EB five unfortunately has a bad narrative. Uh, that seems to have gotten traction uh, and um, a hold in the in the media, but uh, unfortunately, that that narrative is based on non-truths. Um, you know, the facts are that the EB-5 program is a job creation program. It's not a citizenship say it for sale program. You know, investors invest money at risk. Uh, many of the time, they 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 can lose their money. Um, Many times, the, the at-risk investment must create 10 jobs per investment, right? Um, 10 full-time jobs, and many times that, uh, sometimes that isn't achieved, and uh, an investor, so an investor could stand to lose 
the immigration result they'd hoped for in addition to their their investment monies. So that's very different than a citizenship for sale program, obviously. And maybe even more importantly is that, you know, this is the EB-5 uh, is a great tool to use for economic stimulus. You know, it is the only job creation program that does not cost the U.S. taxpayer anything. Compare that to the 2008 stimulus where the Commerce Department reported that each U.S. job created cost between $240,000 and $5 million to the U.S. taxpayers. The Commerce Department did a study in 2013 on EB-5 and found that 6% of all job creation in 2013 was due to the EB-5 program. 6% nationally for such a little program. Yeah. So, so why wouldn't you make it bigger? It doesn't cost the taxpayer anything. This is going to be the biggest, uh, I think it already is, right? The largest stimulus package ever. Right. Um, so why not add to it with something that actually helps reduce the burden right. on U.S. taxpayers? So we're very excited about that. Obviously, we think that's a great idea. Uh, but obviously, it's politically charged being linked to immigration in some ways. So we'll we'll see how it works. But that would be a great tool for, you know, your real estate audience to uh, to take advantage of to kind of get their developments uh, completed and new new projects going and bring people back to work. Yes. And I would be remiss if I didn't also ask a question about uh, the company that had just acquired you. And they're obviously a global player. So I'm assuming there yes. are some visions into um, integrating you into, into some of that. Is there anything else you can share about that perhaps? Well, one of the things we're really excited, well, there's a lot of things we're excited about, you know, first of all, you know, to, to do the kinds of specialty fund administration that we do, we have created technology that is unlike other technology out there. So when you think about fund administrators, normally they procure their technology from the same three or four vendors. Um, and they're good at fund accounting systems, but they're not good for these specialty kinds of solutions. You know, take EB-5, we were just talking about that. Um, our platform services 28,000 limited partners each limited partner has about 3,000 pages of documentation, and they go through a complex workflow process of going back and forth with the immigration service, uh, showing that jobs were created and the like. And to be able to do that um, for that many investors requires some pretty special technology. So the first thing is, you know, JTC could benefit from deploying technology like that into their traditional markets globally. Um, and offer much more expansive um, and cost-effective services to their, their client. The other thing I think that's exciting about this on a global scale is that, you know, that what we've done in opportunity zones in the area of social impact tracking, I think is truly unique. We partnered with uh, Global Impact, which is a company that was founded by Howard Buffett. And Howard Buffett has created this uh, tool to measure and track impact. And from all the research we did, it seems to be unique in that it's a very objective way to look at the impact rate of return. So just like investors will look at the financial rate of return on sure. investment, you know, this is a tool and a tracking mechanism that can show per dollar invested, what's the impact efficiency on that dollar invested? Sure. And so as a result of this coronavirus, there's clearly going to be this spirit of doing good and and helping that's, that's not just a U.S. phenomenon, but it's going to be a global phenomenon. And we think 
the combination of what we have with the global reach of JTC positions us very well to become ultimately a leader in the global impact or ESG investing space. Great. Um, Reed, thank you very much for taking the time to give us an overview of your company and what you guys are doing. This is very exciting. Um, I wish you well and stay safe during these uh, trying times. Definitely. Same to you, Vlad. Thank you so much for having me today. Appreciate it. Thank you.